You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas of Circa Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC 257 event, which takes place on Yas Island in Abu Dhabi. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC 257 features a 12-fight card in total and will be aired on UFC Fight Pass, ESPN+, Plus, ESPN, and Pay-Per-View this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a flyweight contest between Amir Albazi, who is 13 and 1, and Zalgis Zumagulov, who is 13 and 4. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? As always, a couple quick shout outs before we get rolling here. First off, the opening betting odds that I will be quoting are from MMAoddsbreaker.com, our opening betting odds article for UFC 257 Poirier versus McGregor, done by Adam Martin. So make sure you head over to MMAoddsbreaker.com and check out the opening market prices. Those are what we're referring to. And then, of course, the updated odds are brought to you by Circa Sports here in Las Vegas. If you're in Las Vegas, if you're in Nevada in general, and or you're in Colorado, make sure you check out CircaSports.com and download the app and check out all the fights. And you guys are obviously can fund your account if you're in Colorado or Nevada and uh, bet the fights with us this weekend. Also, if you're in Vegas this weekend, make sure you head over to the D Las Vegas. We are going to be airing the fight, the pay-per-view um, over at the D so that not many places to actually watch the fight, um, but we will have it. So again, you could bet uh, at the counter at Circus Sports in the D Las Vegas as well. And then after the fights, walk across the street, enjoy the rest of the games and the festivities at Circa Hotel, the new Circa Resort, which is phenomenal as well. So a lot going on in Vegas this weekend. Make sure you check it out if you're in town. Head over to the D Las Vegas, head over to Circus Sports. And one last little plug, if I may. Uh, make sure you guys head over to UFC Fight Pass, baby. We did uh, UFC on the line for UFC 257, and obviously it's a big one. It's a Conor McGregor card. So um, check out our gambling show on UFC Fight Pass. Myself, Yanni the Greek, and it was hosted by John Anik this time as well. So a lot of fun. Uh, we had a great show. So, again, show us your support. Make sure you head over to Fight Pass and uh, check us out on there. Now, getting right into um, the fights as we speak, as Brian mentioned, the first one, Albazi versus Zuma Gulov. I mean, this is going to be a tremendous, tremendous fight. Really excited for this fight. I can't believe it's actually opening the, the card, to be honest with you. I think this is the type of fight that can definitely be higher up, even on the main card in most cases. I mean, these guys are definitely two, I think, of the most uh, talented flyweights on the roster right now um, again a lot of people might not know that because they haven't really had a ton of fights in the UFC but we're going to see what they're made of here for sure Zumagulov opened minus 115 the comeback on Albazi at minus 105 and right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is actually Zumagulov still minus 115 Albazi minus 105 there has been a ton of two-way action coming in this fight of course um, it did get bet up Zumagulov was a higher favorite market-wide for a certain amount of time and then we saw the action come in on Albazi as well so the line is back 
to kind of wear it open. And again, a lot of two-way action in this fight. Just a high-level flyweight fight against, again, with two very up-and-coming quality fighters. I'm leaning a little bit more towards Albazi. Uh, Zuma Gulov has it all. I mean, it's not going to be an easy fight for Albazi. I think Zuma Gulov um, actually probably has the overall striking edge, the way he mixes things up. Um, he flows well with his wrestling, his takedown defense, and his grappling, too. So he's got a bit of everything um, that he can offer here. But I think Albazi has the more dominant wrestling and grappling game, I think on the feet it'll be competitive enough. And I think he can get some takedowns and control. And again, he does have definitely a little edge when it comes to submissions. I mean, some unorthodox, but technical submission. I mean, this guy can uh, hit you with a triangle choke from all sorts of different uh, angles. It's pretty fun to watch his grappling, honestly. So this should be a fun fight. I'm expecting it to be razor tight back and forth. I am leaning a little bit more towards Obazi though. And it's a dog or pass situation. So I think if you're going to bet this fight, you have to kind of lean towards the dog because it's going to be one of those fights for sure it's going to be a classic i'm looking forward to it but my pick officially will be albazi to get it done yeah both of these guys are very talented flyweights um albazi came into the ufc with a nice wave of hype and he lived up to it uh impressive triangle choke submission over uh, malcolm gordon um zuma gulov came in um not quite as hyped and he was not expected to uh perform that well against uh relin paeva and that was a very close decision that could have gone his way that he ended up losing in his debut. So um, while Zumagulov didn't win, he still impressed. So, you know, these guys are both very, very talented. Um, I would say on the feet, uh, Zumagulov might not be quite as technical as Elbazi, but he makes up for it with aggression and power. Um, he throws some aggressive uh, heavy hooks and he pushes forward. And I think, um, if he can do that consistently without this fight going to the floor, then uh, Zuma Gulov could absolutely walk away with this one. Um, that being said, I think Albazi, if he can keep this technical, he could potentially outpoint Zuma Gulov uh, just by avoiding more shots and landing better shots. Um, and then you mix in that Albazi has a very strong ground game, uh, both with uh, submissions and uh, scrambling. Um, he should be able to, to walk away with the decision here, if not uh, get a finish potentially, if it goes to the floor. So uh, it's really just going to boil down to, can Albazi make this a complete mixed martial arts fight? And if he does, he should win. But uh, don't count out Zumagulov and his aggression on the feet, because that's going to make this interesting for three straight rounds. But Albazi will be my pick. Now, moving up to the featherweight division, we have Nick Lentz, who is 30, 11, and 2, taking on Movsar Evloev, who is 13, and 0. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Evloev minus 400, the comeback on Lentz at plus 300. That was the opening price. And right now, Evloev is minus 550 at Circus Sports. The comeback is plus 430. So obviously, not really that surprise. I mean, Evloev is one of these talented, up-and-coming, I mean, featherweight, contenders. I mean, he's already beyond a prospect. I mean, this guy is kind of emerging, obviously, towards the top of the division and is going to find himself in line for a title shot soon. I mean, that's how talented this guy is. 
Uh, and I love the way that UFC is bringing this guy up, meaning matching the fights with him. I mean, they're testing him on every level. And this is going to be another one. Nick Lentz historically has been a very solid fighter. I mean, both obviously in the lightweight division and uh, um, in the featherweight division as well. But obviously he's faced the best of the best throughout his career and he's performed really well in most cases. So this guy is a total package when it comes to Lentz. I mean, he's a threat on the feet. You obviously have to respect his submissions and he's got a bit of wrestling to go along with it. So that's what I'm saying. This is not going to be an easy fight for Evloev, but I do think he could rise to the occasion and he can outpoint and and make this fight a difficult one for Lentz. Lentz is going to have his moments, but I think Evloev is just going to be smooth um, as far as it, with his transitions from striking to the ground and de- defending and, and just getting where he needs to be to win this fight. And uh, like I said, clearly outpoint Lentz. Um, I think he's going to probably end up winning every round. Um, again, some competitive spots. He might even finish Lentz as the fight progresses, though, because again, this guy just keeps on getting more comfortable and more confident in the octagon. So I don't think we're going to see um, Evloev actually take a step back at all here. I think we're going to continue to see him evolve as a fighter and just get better fight by fight. So sky's the limit for him. I like what I see with this guy for sure. Great matchmaking here, but I got to pick him to win. Where the betting line is now, you can't bet this fight. I mean, it's too high. Lentz definitely deserves some respect, and I would not recommend laying 550. I would just sit back and watch this fight and see how it plays out. Yeah, honestly, this fight kind of reminds me quite a bit of Evloev's last fight against Mike Grundy. Uh, you know, Grundy was uh, a good wrestler with some decent striking, and he really aggressively was trying to take Evloev down. And Evloev did give up some takedowns, but he responded and then got really good with scrambling back to his feet quickly and basically making Grundy waste energy. And then he just started piecing Grundy up on the feet. So I think that's going to happen here. Uh, Nick Lentz. You know, I don't really see him being any better of a wrestler than Grundy. So, yeah, Lentz might be able to get some takedowns, but will he be able to keep Evloev down? I mean, this guy, it's like a trampoline almost. When he gets put down, he gets right back up. So I think he's going to force Lentz to waste a lot of energy pursuing takedowns, and then he's going to be lighting Lentz up on the feet. Now, Evloev, uh, he's more of a volume striker, so I don't really know if he'll be able to put Lentz away, but I can definitely just see him uh, scoring big-time points with the judges and impressing them and uh, walking away with a decision. For for Lentz, he's going to have to really uh, commit to the grind here. He's going to have to just try to take away Evloev's weapons, whether it be in the clinch or on the ground, and I'm just not sure that Evloev's going to let him do that. So... Uh, I just think Evloev's too talented, he's on the rise, and this feels more like a veteran being fed to a surging up-and-coming prospect. Uh, I really like Evloev, I think he's a lot of potential, and uh, yeah, this is not the guy that's going to be stopping that undefeated streak, in my opinion. So Evloev's going to be my pick as well. Now, moving up to the middleweight division, we have Andrew Sanchez, who is 12-5, and Taking on Mahmoud Muradov, who is 24 and 6. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Sanchez opened minus 179, the comeback on Muradov at plus 148. That did not last long, as right now Muradov is minus 145 over Circus Sports, a comeback on Sanchez at plus 125. I mean, thankfully, uh, we did not open the price that way at Circa. Um, we actually opened Murdoff minus 140 uh, plus 120. So all that action that came in on Murdoff wasn't that bad for us as far as the market goes, which is good. I mean, obviously this is 
a very close fight for a reason. I'm expecting this to be very competitive. I think this is another good, well-matched fight as far as matchmaking goes because another prospect in Muradov that's getting tested by Sanchez. Sanchez is a savvy vet. I mean, we've seen some really good things um, with him as of late as well. I mean, if you look, you know, coming off that big win that he just had recently by knockout, um, it's his ground game that's always been, I think, you know, his best attribute, but he's starting to strike a lot better. Even in the Vittori fight, his conditioning hung in there and, uh, you know, he didn't fold under the pressure. That was a very difficult fight. And I was impressed by him. I think his stock went up in that loss to me as well. So Sanchez is not an easy out. I mean, again, with his grappling ability, with his striking, he does have power. He pushes an aggressive pace. And like I said, we, I think his conditioning, we're seeing him kind of turn the corner and, and him be able to go three strong rounds. Um, so Murdoff is not going to have an easy fight here, but he is the more technical, savvy fighter. I think he's going to be a little bit faster. I think he's going to be able to kind of clown Sanchez a little bit on the feet uh, with all due respect. I think he's going to be landing uh, the harder shots. I think he has potential to possibly get Sanchez out of there. So there's a different level in striking when it comes to Murdoff and Sanchez. Murdoff is by far the better striker. He's got to be careful. I mean, Murdoff hasn't been stopped. Um, I, I believe ever in his career by knockout. So that's one thing that's he's got going for him. He's a pretty durable fighter, but Sanchez does hit pretty hard. So he's got to be careful with that. Like I said, I just don't think I see Sanchez catching Murdoff where Murdoff does have a good shot of catching Sanchez along the way. Um, he has to fight smart, not let Sanchez kind of pin him up against the cage and try to control and slow the fight down that way. I think he's capable of doing that. So my pick is Murdoff. And I think it's kind of a favorite or pass situation. You can't go crazy here because it, it will be a test, as I said, but I do like Murdoff and I think he's going to win this fight. Now, you can't sleep on Andrew Sanchez. I mean, he had a rough stretch there in the UFC, but it seems like he's really started to figure it out. And he's picked up some quality wins and had some good performances in his last four fights. Um, it seems like he's put some of those conditioning issues behind him where he was fading, starting strong and fading late and getting finished. Um, but against Muradov, I mean, this guy is a really, really dangerous striker, very heavy hands. Um, and so far, uh, he's been in there against some decent fighters. You know, Alessio DeChirico in his debut ends up winning a decision. And then he just destroyed Trevor Smith with a right hand in the third round, mind you. So that kind of shows that he can still, you know, dish it out late. So, uh, you know, this guy is a very, very dangerous, powerful striker. Um, Sanchez is, I don't think, should be screwing around too much with him on the feet. Um, I know Sanchez is kind of figuring out the stand-up as well and, and putting in some decent performances on the feet, uh, most recently getting that uh, stoppage against uh, Terman. So that kind of opened some eyes. But again, uh, you know, do you really want to go toe-to-toe with Muradov, a guy that I think has 16 uh, of his 19 finishes by a form of knockout? So... Um, if I'm Sanchez, I want to mix it up a little bit, turn this into an MMA fight. You know, he's a good grappler. Uh, use the grappling. Don't just stand on the feet with somebody that is going to be trying to take your head off for three straight rounds. Um, so, uh, I think Sanchez is going to make this interesting, but uh, I think on the feet, Muradov's going to be too elusive. He's going to be too active. He's, just going to not let Sanchez get comfortable in the standup. And unless Sanchez can take this to the floor and take Muradov out of his element, um, I don't see how he wins. So I'm going to go with Muradov and I think he could win a decision. He might win by knockout. Now moving up to the light heavyweight division, we have Khalil Roundtree, who is 
eight and four, taking on Marcin Procnio, who is thirteen and five. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Roundtree minus 300, Pracknow plus 250. That was the opening price. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is Roundtree minus 315, Pracknow plus 265. So again, kind of sitting ballpark where it was opening at. I mean, let's face it, Pracknow coming off of three straight losses and getting finished in each one um, and then facing a devastating striker like Roundtree doesn't bode well for him. And a lot of people are, are basically fading him because of that reason alone. I mean, look, we can't trust Roundtree all the way, although he's had some pretty decent performances inside the octagon and I like him. I mean, he's an exciting fighter, a fun guy to watch. But that said, he's still hittable. We saw the Walker loss. We saw Kudo Laba recently as well, which is not exactly a, a terrible loss, obviously. But I mean, he has had those moments where, you know, against heavy hitters, he's struggled and he's gotten hit. And Pracknow does have some power. I mean, so what I'm trying to say here, Pracknow is not definitely on the same level as far as striking. Rontry, I think, is going to be more explosive, more dangerous, more capable of winning this fight. But he's got to be careful and you got to respect Pracknow on the other side of it because he does have finishing ability at least. I just think he's not on the same level and it's clear to me that Rontry should win this fight more times by not inside the distance. So I do like Rontry in this spot. I, I don't think you could bet him. I think the line's appropriately set at minus 300-ish because, again, Pracknow as a dog has somewhat of a shot to maybe possibly get Rontry out of there as well. So either way, somebody's getting finished here. I do think it's more likely Rontry and I think you got to stay away from it. But the pick is Rontry. Yeah, at this point, you know, Pracnio is who we think he is. Uh, you know, he came into the UFC as a guy that a lot of people thought could come in and pick up a lot of knockouts. Um, he had several, uh, first round finishes, um, in a big win streak. I think he was, he went from five and two to 12 and two. So seven fights in a row, uh, winning streak, uh, performed in one championship and, it just has not worked out for him. So far, he's 0-3 in the UFC, been finished in the first round all three times by strikes. Um, and honestly, the only one that, you know, is you should have expected to happen was the Ankalaev loss. You know, obviously, Ankalaev is a beast. But uh, to get finished that quickly by Sam Alvey and Mike, Mike Rodriguez as well um, just kind of speaks volumes. And I would say Khalil Roundtree would probably be the the second best striker he's faced outside of Ankulaev. Uh So uh, you're asking a lot for Procneo here. Um, you know, yes, uh, Roundtree also has his issues. He gets caught as well. Um, it's happened uh, against Johnny Walker. It happened against Kudalaba. So it's not a guarantee that Roundtree wins by knockout, but I do think it's a guarantee that this fight ends by knockout at some point, either guy, uh, probably in the first round and a half, but um, the most likely outcome is Roundtree winning by knockout. He's just too fluid of a striker. Um, I'm a little nervous about his durability as well, but with Procneo coming in on a three-fight losing streak, all three first-round knockout losses, uh, you got to go with Roundtree here. So Roundtree's going to be my pick. Now, dropping down to the women's bantamweight division, we have Sarah McMahon, who is 12 and 12-5, taking on Juliana Pena, who is nine and four. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Penny opened minus 140, McMahon plus 120. That did not last, as we're seeing right now over Circus Sports. McMahon minus 130, Pena plus 110. So the line flip, more action coming in McMahon's way. I see it. I understand it. I think McMahon, it could be a pick em type of fight with her being a slight favorite. I think that's fair. 
Um, both of these ladies are obviously high level, and I'm kind of disappointed that they didn't have more success in their UFC careers. Not that they didn't, though. I mean, both, again, high level, two of the best for sure at 135 pounds. Um, but um, what I'm saying is McMahon, you know, she got to the Ronda Rousey title shot, didn't go well for her, but I was expecting to possibly see her wear gold one day, and she just didn't get it. But, I mean, as far as her pedigree goes and what she's accomplished in the sport, it's it's pretty definitely um, – something you should be proud of it, I guess, at least, because, I mean, she's one of definitely the best wrestlers that we've seen grace uh, women's MMA. She's got power on the feet, meaning that she's definitely developed her boxing to the point where she's a threat on the feet a little bit, and you have to respect her. But defensively, she does get hit. Um, she's been submitted. She definitely has some spots that you want to scratch your head and, and think, expect better from her, I guess. And she's not getting any, any younger. She's 40 years old. So I think that's kind of an issue you have to be worried about as well. She's still fighting at a high level though. And she's always in great shape. So I like what I've seen throughout her career. What I'm trying to say, it's just disappointing when she does get caught in a submission or lose to fighters that I don't, I don't think she should lose to. So that said, she has a very difficult test in front of her here with Pena. Pena is a phenomenal fighter as well. I think she's always flown under the radar a little bit, and she's kind of been towards the top of the division, rightfully so, because of her skill set. I mean, again, talk about wrestling. I mean, I think McMahon's wrestling is better than Pena, but Pena does have dominant wrestling, dominant grappling in most cases as well. Her stand-up is always developing and improving, and offensively, she can be aggressive and be effective at times as well, but she can be hit she's tough she absorbs it well i give her a lot of credit um but again her submission defense at times has let her down in the past i mean the last two losses first of all Deronami should not have gotten her guillotine choke. That was a beautiful guillotine, so hats off to her. But I was shocked that she won by choke there. I'm sure most of you guys were out there as well. Um, the Shevchenko loss by armbar, I wasn't as surprised. I guess Shevchenko was just that slick everywhere the fight takes place. So what I'm saying is that you expect a little bit better from Pena in, in that regard as well um, for her not to get maybe subbed by, uh, you know, Deronami in that spot. But it happens. That said, you can't take a lot from that because I mean she I think she has enough heart and toughness and desire to make this a, a very difficult split decision type of fight for McMahon as well or even possibly finish her because I think Pena on the ground especially submission wise does have the advantage over McMahon um, but again I think it's one of those situations though where McMahon could possibly sub Pena Pena could possibly sub McMahon I think on the feed it'll be relatively close slight edge towards McMahon the wrestling probably slight edge towards McMahon but that sneaky, sneaky finish, I think, is there for Pena. So I'm going to actually go back and forth on this fight, but I'm going to pick Pena. And I think the way you bet this fight, you can't lay the chalk. I think it's a dog or pass situation. I think you have to kind of look at it that way if you're going to look to bet this fight. So my pick is going to be Pena, and it's probably Pena as far as the value where the current line is right now as well. So let's see how it plays out. And yeah, both of these girls have struggled recently. Um, I would say McMahon has by far the the better wrestling and uh the better striking but um it's tough to trust her because she'll go in there and look amazing and like she did against you know Jessica I like she did against Alexis Davis and then she'll just completely drop an egg like she did in her back-to-back -back losses to Ketlin Vieira and Marion Renault where she got submitted and that's the thing I'm most concerned about is her getting submitted. Uh, Juliana Pena is not as good of a striker as McMahon. She's not as good of a wrestler as McMahon, but she does have a really good submission grappling game. Uh, you look at uh, her performances so far in the octagon, and she has 
quality wins utilizing her ground game. Now, she hasn't actually picked up a submission in the UFC. She did do it multiple times on The Ultimate Fighter. She uh, choked out Shayna Baszler. She got a guillotine against Sarah Morris. So she faced people that had good ground games, and she submitted them. So that is absolutely in her pocket. Um I'd say she's a little bit more dangerous in the UFC so far. She's been able to get top position and beat people up with ground and pound more often than not. But uh for her to win against Sarah McMahon, I do not think that she's just going to be able to hold top position and beat her up. Uh To, to beat Sarah McMahon, she's going to have to uh pull something off, whether it's an arm bar, a triangle choke, a guillotine choke, anything – if McMahon tries to get this to the floor, uh, she just needs to do something off of her back, uh, whether it's a sweep or you, you, whatever you can think of, she's probably got the ability to do it. It's just, can she lock it in? Because if she does, McMahon is absolutely submittable. It absolutely could happen. Uh, we've seen it multiple times now at this point. Um, she just frustratingly underperforms at times. So, uh, but that does not take away from the fact that McMahon is an elite, uh, athlete, but she's also 40 years old. So, uh, you know, McMahon's coming in off of a good performance, you know, last January against Lena Landsberg, won a unanimous decision. And, uh, Pena, on the other hand, you know, she got dominated her last fight, surprisingly getting choked out by Jermaine de Rindami, who is not known for, you know, her submission ability. So, that was a bit embarrassing for her, but um, I still think that, you know, absolutely Pena could lock something in against McMahon, just especially with how vulnerable McMahon can be to submissions. But uh, with everything said, I still think that McMahon has the potential to, to pick up wins, quality wins against good fighters. And as long as she does not leave her neck exposed or arm exposed or something and get tapped out, um, she wins a decision here. So I'm going to go with Sarah McMahon. I think uh, she can use that wrestling or perhaps just outstrike Pena by using the wrestling in reverse. So McMahon's going to be my pick. Now moving up to the middleweight division, we have Brad Tavares, who is 17 and 6, taking on Antonio Carlos Jr., who is 10 and 4. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Tavares open minus 120, Carlos Jr. even money. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is Tavares minus 120, Carlos Jr. even money. Tavares did get bet up market-wide a little while, but the money came back in on Carlos Jr. as well. So there is, again, another spot where there is two-way sharp action coming in both ways on this fight. Sharper action recently coming in on Carlos Jr., though, um, hitting the sportsbook market there. So I could see this fight kind of going either way, too, as well. I mean, so I think picking with a slight lean towards Tavares is okay. If you look at it stylistically on paper, it's kind of – it makes sense because – if Carlos Jr. can't get this fight to the ground, you would think Tavares has an edge on the feet with his striking. I mean, Carlos Jr. is developing that striking game. Um, he will have some advantages as far as, you know, maybe a little bit of length for sure um, in this spot over Tavares, which is never a bad thing, of course. And uh, But as far as pure boxing goes, I think Tavares definitely has the edge there. But Carlos Jr. mixes things up well enough on the feet, and he's improving that area that I think it would be fairly competitive on the feet. And I think as far as durability goes, I think – Tavares' chin has always been a little bit of an issue for me. I mean, it's hard to trust it. It's funny because he can survive against the likes of Adesanya, and uh, even though he did obviously get clearly beat there, but still he didn't get you know knocked out or finished, and then he gets uh, knocked out 
and, uh, you know, destroyed by Shabazi and by that kick or whatnot. So, I mean, it just historically, he's had these spots where he has been finished and, um, and it's been a bit disappointing, obviously, for his career or whatnot, because outside of that, I mean, he's a very underrated, solid fighter. He's been in there with a lot of good competitions, pulled off a lot of fights that a lot of people, I think, wouldn't think he would. So, I mean, Tavares is definitely a very talented fighter, a tough out. I just think right now, you know, as these guys are kind of getting a little bit older, I think the fresher fighter of the two, um, especially MMA years, is, is definitely uh, Carlos Jr. in this spot here. And I think that he's probably going to get that finish along the way. I mean, all it takes is him to get your back. I mean, he's so slick with his jujitsu. Um, he could do that. I know Tavares is not an easy guy, again, to control on the ground or, or to get a submission against, but I think Carlos Jr. mixes things up that the finish might be there for him. So, again, another fight that I've been going back and forth on, but I will lean a little bit more towards Carlos Jr. here. I think he probably does get the finish over Tavares. He could also win on the scorecards, a very close split decision type of fight, but I think if it does hit the scorecards, it probably favors Tavares. So it's just one of those kind of fights. But again, another spot where I'm definitely curious to see where this one plays out or how it plays out, I should say. But my pick is going to be Carlos Jr. And I'm going to go the other way, you know, with Antonio Carlos Jr., I just cannot trust the man at this point. Uh, he has let me down too many times. Uh, he has the ability, you know, he, he looked good on the Ultimate Fighter heavyweight season in Brazil. Um, and he's picked up some quality wins and he had a nice run after dropping down to the middleweight division. Uh, I would say probably the best performance of his career was the, the win over Marvin Vittori, uh, which looks really good now. But um, he just seems like he's so tough to rely on because you look at, uh, you know, when he just gave up in the loss to Daniel Kelly, a guy that he was supposed to just steamroll, um, ended up getting finished in the third round. And then most recently, uh, he started strong against both Uriah Hall and Ian Heinish and ended up slowing down the stretch and losing decisions to Heinish and Hall. Um, and then you look at Tavares, and yeah, he is also on a, a two-fight losing streak, but I would say those losses are a lot better. I mean, you look, and it was to you know, Edmund Shabazian, a guy that had a ton of hype, that landed a beautiful head kick and took him out, and the current champ, Israel Adesanya, a guy that he went to decision against. Um, so, you know, Brad Tavares is a guy that can take a measured approach. He's a, a good striker that can hold his own against most other uh, people on the feet in the middleweight division. I don't think that Carlos Jr. is the better striker here. So I see uh, Tavares outpointing him over the course of three rounds on the feet. And he has pretty good takedown defense. So far, the only person that's really been able to dominate him with takedowns was Yoel Romero. And that was back in 2014. So... Um, yeah, maybe Carlos Jr. gets some takedowns, but will he be able to finish Brad Tavares? And if he doesn't, I think Brad Tavares comes on strong in the second and third rounds as Carlos Jr. fades. So I think Carlos Jr. could win the first round, but I just don't see him winning the next two. So unless Carlos Jr. puts Tavares out in the first round, I think Tavares wins a decision or maybe even stops Carlos Jr. late. So Tavares is going to be my pick. Now, dropping down to the lightweight division, we have Armin Sarukian, who is 15-2, taking on Nesrat Hekparist, who is 12-3. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? 
Saruki you know, but minus 300 to come back on Hakparist at plus 50. And now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is minus 285, the comeback on Hakparist plus 240. This line did dip all the way down. It was below minus 200 for a while. So, I mean, this this fight was all over the place. Now it's coming back to where um, some spots open, which I think is more appropriately set. But it's starting to get to a point where you got to be careful, man, because uh, the disrespect on Huck Paris is definitely out there right now. I mean, for me personally, I got in on this line when it was under 200. I think the value is there. So Arukin is one of my favorite prospects at lightweight for sure. Huck Paris is another one, though. I mean, so this is another good spot where they matched two rising prospects, and it's going to be a difficult fight for each gentleman. I just think Sarukian is kind of a step ahead of him because he can blend in the striking with the grappling, with that wrestling, with the control. He's getting better, like, fight by fight. We're seeing that confidence, and I think this guy could definitely be a future title contender, title uh, holder, actually, if he continues to kind of progress his career the right way. I mean, this guy has it all, really, and he could just be one of those special, special type of fighters. I mean, I, I like what I see from him. I, I expect that to continue here, but again, if he cannot get Hakparis down, Hakparis, his, his wrestling defense has gotten a lot better. We see the work put in, and it's paying off big time. And then on the feet, this guy's hands are something else, man. I mean, he's a killer. He definitely comes at you. He can, he's willing to um, exchange the pocket, which kind of gets him in trouble sometimes. Though We saw him get knocked out by Dober. Um, which was, you know, kind of a surprising circumstance there. So you have to kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Sarukian definitely has enough uh, power and precision to, to rock Huck Paris, maybe get him out of there. But I think if this is going to be a firefight, it's going to be a tough fight for both guys here. So I'm expecting this to be a war. I just think the difference maker will be Sarukian's ability to wrestle and control this fight. Despite Huck Paris making improvements in that area, I still think uh, Sarukian is the total package. I wouldn't lay this price I mean, it's to the point where you got to stay away from it, unfortunately. You know, I know a lot of people are looking to bet this fight, but at minus 285, the value's already gone. I mean, you know, like I said, if you're able to get under 200, definitely make a bet. If you're, you know, getting under 250, okay, I can understand it. But as it gets closer to 300, you have to take a baby stab at it or just leave it alone. So I do like Saruki, and I think he gets it done. But you got to respect the power on the other side and Hukpars' talent as well. So my pick is Saruki, and just be careful where the betting line is at this current moment. And I completely agree. Um, Sarukian and Hakparist, basically Hakparist is a guy that's going to be trying to keep this upright and stand and trade. And Sarukian, I think, is just as good of a striker as Hakparist. I mean, maybe Hakparist hits harder, but uh, Sarukian is the more complete fighter. So on the feet, I think this is going to be pretty even. And then you factor in that Sarukian will be looking for takedowns, looking to perhaps put Hakparist in the clinch. And he's going to be taking Hakparist out of his element a little bit. So um, I see Sarukian uh, just flustering Hakparist. And when Hakparist gets taken down a couple times, he'll be thinking about that. And I think that'll make Sarukian stand up better. So um, this fight should be competitive. But as long as Sarukian is mixing in takedown attempts, I think he should be able to win by keeping Hakparist guessing. So... Uh, I think the most likely outcome in this fight is a Sarukian decision. So Armin Sarukian is going to be my pick. Now, moving on to the main card in the women's strawweight division, we have Marina Rodriguez, who is 12-1-2, taking on Amanda Ribas, who is 10-1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmakers perspective on this one? Hebus opened minus 270. The comeback on Rodriguez at plus 230. Right now, what we're seeing over Circus Sports, Hebus minus 310. The comeback on Rodriguez at plus 260. Man, do I like me some Rodriguez, meaning I love the way she fights. She's such a fun fighter. I mean, she uses that reach well. 
She's a talented striker, has that killer instinct as well. I mean, everything you got to love about her. Another fighter that's actually excels in the stand-up that's getting better, stuffing takedowns, and her ground game is definitely improving as well. So she can potentially be a title contender at 115 pounds. She's right there, I mean, right in the mix. But her kryptonite is definitely the ground game, and that's what's got her in trouble in the past against elite-level grapplers and grinders and wrestlers and takedown artists. So this is exactly what Hebus is, right? She is one of the best grapplers, pure jiu-jitsu artist Rodriguez is going to face. There's no doubt about that. And she has the takedown ability to make this a tough fight for Rodriguez as well. And then even on the feet, Hebus has some skill. She's got some power, and, and she definitely has some good striking. It's just on the feet is where she's going to get beat up if she decides to stay there and not get this fight to the ground. I mean, I think Rodriguez definitely has the edge there. So... I don't know, man. I mean, a lot of people think this fight's already over. He was going to get this fight to the floor. and She's going to have an easy time with Rodriguez. I think it's probably going to be more difficult than everybody's anticipating. Uh, you cannot bet this fight at like minus 300-ish, I think, now. I mean, again, it's another spot where I can understand it because I do think Hebus is, is more of the complete fighter and she probably does get it done and her path of victory is on the ground. And I see her going that way. It's just I'm a little bit more tentative, I guess, around minus 300. Um than most people that are willing to bet that price right now, because I do respect Rodriguez on the other side of it, but I just think it's a spot where it's a tough fight for a difficult matchup. So I don't expect her to pull this off. So I'm going to lean towards Hebus. But if you're betting this fight, another spot where you just can't go nuts, man, you got to respect Rodriguez as a dog here. Yeah. The main concern here for me is will Rebus be able to mix in her ground game with her standup? Because, um, in if this is a pure stand-up fight, Rodriguez is going to win. She is an elite striker, really, really talented striker, mixes up uh, heavy hands and kicks, pushes a high tempo on the feet. Uh, but the problem is Rodriguez gets taken down a lot. Um, we've seen it over and over and over again where uh, she's looking great on the feet and then she gets crushed and dominated with takedowns. It happened... Uh, with her two draws in the UFC, um, most recently the, the Calvillo fight, and then her first loss was getting taken down repeatedly by Carla Esparza. Now, Rebus doesn't have the wrestling of a Carla Esparza, but uh, Rebus does have uh, a really, really good ground game. Like, we've seen it. Uh, she's held her own against Mackenzie Dern, actually picking up a couple takedowns against her and not getting tapped out. Um, she submitted Emily Whitmire. She submitted Paige Van Zandt in her last fight. And then she dominated Randa Marcos on the feet. So she has the ability to take a fight where she has the biggest edge. And she's being so well-rounded, um, she needs to take this fight to the floor. Um, stand and trade a little bit, but she did get knocked out back in Jungle Fight 83 by Pollyanna Vienna. So if she screws around on the feet the whole time, um, this could put her in a little bit of trouble. So um, that being said, um, Marina Rodriguez is taking this fight on a little bit of short notice because Rebus was supposed to face Michelle Watterson. Watterson drew, uh, withdrew and Rodriguez is coming in. So I think that that's another mark against Rodriguez here. It's just going to be tough for her to step in against one of the most well-rounded fighters in the flyweight division or uh, the strawweight division. I think, uh, Rebus wins this fight and then moves on and is right in title contention. So uh, Rebus is going to be my pick, but if she cannot get this to the floor, it's going to get interesting in a hurry. Now, moving up to the lightweight division, we have Atman Azaitar, who is 13-0, and 
taking on Matt Frevola, who is 8-1-1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Zaitar opened minus 115, Frevola minus 105, and we're seeing right now over at Circus Sports as a Zaitar minus 165, Frevola plus 145. So Zaitar getting a little bit more love, but make no mistake, Frivola at this dog price is definitely getting some action as well. It's just the market's slowly rising and, you know, we're kind of going up with it as well. I don't want to get buried on a Zaitar money. I think this guy's legit. I think his hands are dynamite. He's got that explosive power, that killer instinct as well. Frivola gets hit an awful lot, and I don't know if he's going to be able to stand that power against Zaitar on the other side of it. But that said, Frivola's a very good fighter. Uh, I love watching him fight because he's another one of these guys that could absorb punishment and just keep on pushing and making the fight grueling. He's got some effective striking offensively. He's got some wrestling and he's got some grappling ability. So Frivola is the more complete fighter here out of the two. And I know that he's battle tested. We know his conditioning is there. There's still a lot of question marks with a Zaitar on this level, at least, but I still think it's a good favorable matchup for him because Frivola gets hit that often. I think a Zaitar is going to eventually land and get him out of there. I don't think Frivola is going to be able to take it. So, but for his path to victory, it's definitely surviving early and uh, making this kind of be a grueling fight for a Zaitar. And then I think Frivola might be able to finish a Zaitar along the way, or like I said decision him so um it's another intriguing fight but i actually lean the favorite here in a zaitar i think he could get it done and he probably gets it done by knockout yeah that's the thing here uh, i think frevola is the more well-rounded of the two um he mixes in some wrestling with uh, his stand-up and that makes him dangerous so if he's able to get his wrestling going against a zaitar uh you know this gets interesting in a hurry but uh the other thing is frevola does get hit um uh, we saw it when he got knocked out by uh, Polo Reyes. Uh, we saw it when he got hurt against Lando Veneta. And then we saw it on Contender Series. Luke Flores had him in some trouble. So, uh, you know, this guy is tough as nails, though. So if Azaitar hits him and doesn't finish him, uh, you know, maybe Frevola is able to bounce back and take this to the floor. But uh, what we've seen out of Azaitar so far has been just a brutal power striker. Now, he hasn't faced somebody. I think this is probably the toughest fight that he's had in his career. But up until this point, I mean, this guy is just obliterating people. Uh, he came into the UFC known as a dangerous power striker, a heavy finisher. And so far, he's lived up to the hype. Uh, Timo Pekelin, he slept him in 3 minutes and 33 seconds in his UFC debut back in uh, September of 2019. And then a year later, he takes on Kama Worthy and, again, knocks him out in a minute 33. So uh, this guy is super dangerous, especially early. Uh, so if Revela is going to win, he needs to survive that early onslaught from Azaitar and try to drag this into deep waters. But uh, I just think at some point Azaitar catches him. So uh, he, he's looked really good so far. Again, this is the toughest fight of his career, so this is his major step up. But I think it's a step up he can pass. So I'm going to go with a Zaitar. Now, dropping down to the women's flyweight division, we have Jessica I, who is 15 and 8, taking on Joanne Calderwood, who is 14 and 5. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Calderwood open minus 140. The comeback on I plus 120. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently. Calderwood minus 120, even money on Jessica I. So line going down towards Jessica I a little bit more. Again, another spot where we're getting a tremendous amount of two-way action. I think there's a lot of support for both of these ladies. Obviously, it's going to be a high-level fight. Two of the best flyweight female fighters in the world. 
both of these ladies have had some disappointments in their careers, a lot of ups and downs. I mean, they've kind of rose to the top of the weight class in title contention. Jessica, I did get the title shot. She ended up, unfortunately, getting knocked out by Shevchenko. That highlight reel head kick was amazing. Um, not a good look for I, obviously, but, I mean, she's a talented, underrated fighter, always been throughout her career. I mean, she's always been better than I think she gets credit for. So very tough out, very good fighter. Um, but Calderwood, you could say a lot of the same stuff about her as well. I mean, getting to the point where she was the number one contender and then losing uh, by, you know, getting caught to Maya there like she did. It's just unfortunate for her. But they've had those kind of spots in their careers where they've had those letdowns and very competitive fights along the way as well. Both of these ladies, when it hits the scorecards, it's like it's a guaranteed split decision written all over. It. And this is another one. That's what makes it very difficult for me here because um, I am going back and forth. But I'm going to have to lean towards Jessica. I think she's probably going to utilize wrestling a little bit more here. I think she could barely edge out the fight because of that. I think she's smart enough to do so. Uh, but it's going to be an all-out war. I could definitely see Calderwood pulling this out, this one out as well. If you're going to look to bet this fight, you cannot lay the chalk here. It's another spot where it's a dog or pass situation. So if the r- line rises on Calderwood, which it might, then maybe some value opens up on Jessica I. you got to take a stab at the plus money there for sure. Um, or vice versa, if the line flips and Calderwood becomes the betting underdog and there's a plus money that appears there, then she's worth probably a stab as well. So one of those type of fights, man, it should be exciting. I think it'll be fun. Um, let's see how it plays out as well, but I'm going to pick Jessica I to get the W here. And I'm going to go the other way. Um, again, you know, as Nick said, both of these girls can be pretty unreliable, uh, but they both have pretty similar skill sets. Uh, you know, I is an aggressive uh, striker, pretty good boxing, and has mixed in a little bit of wrestling. Um that did not look good in her last fight, obviously, when she got completely dominated on the ground by Cynthia Calvillo. Um, Joanne Calderwood, on the other hand, you know, she also is a very good striker. I would say she's the more well-rounded striker of the two because she's a bit more of a Muay Thai striker. She uses her knees and elbows more than I. I's a little bit more of a pure puncher. Um, but I, I think could make up for that with volume here. Um, and, Calderwood also, you know, does utilize some wrestling, but she also gets caught with submissions. It's happened against uh, Jessica Andrade, it happened against Jennifer Maya, it happened against Marina Morose, and it happened against Rose Namajunas. So uh, that is something that you have to be a little bit nervous about, but Jessica I isn't known for her submission prowess, so I'm not too worried about that in this fight. Um, I think what's most likely going to happen is this will probably be a stand-up fight over the course of three rounds with maybe the occasional takedown mixed in by either girl to try to uh, mix things up a little bit. But uh, I see Jessica I being aggressive on the feet, but I'm a little nervous because she also is a little chinny, and I think Calderwood actually has some pop. Uh, I've seen her hurt some people, so I think... uh how this fight plays out is Calderwood gets a little bit better of the striking exchanges on the feet. And when it goes to the floor, I don't really see either girl having a huge edge there. So I think it's going to be Calderwood outpointing I over the course of three rounds. And the only way I makes up for it is by just pure volume, which could happen. You know, it happened against uh, uh, Chukagian when uh, Jessica was able to win a decision there, but I don't think it happens here. So uh, Calderwood should be the better striker, but I has surprised me as in the past, like she did uh, in the Araujo fight as well. So uh, Calderwood's my pick, but I'm not crazy confident about it. Now, moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the lightweight division, we have Dan Hooker, who is 20 and 9, 
taking on Michael Chandler, who is 21 and 5. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Hooker open around minus 160, the comeback on Chandler plus 140. This line did kind of go all over the place. It was around to pick him for a while, then it shot up to Hooker minus 170. Now it's coming back down as well. So just a tough one, another head-scratcher type of fight, because obviously Hooker more proven in the UFC, higher-level competition, a, a more of a well-known, respected fighter at this point throughout his career, um, more so over Chandler. I mean, Chandler, again, being the former Bellator champion, and at one point I think he was the best lightweight in the world. He was up there at least. I mean, you could argue the case. Now, we haven't seen those days from Chandler for a while. I think he has hit kind of a decline spot throughout his career. It's a shame that he's making it over to the UFC kind of this late in his career. Not that he's done, though. I mean, I think the guy is definitely still very talented, very capable of making a run um, towards that title shot. Now, if Khabib doesn't come back either, I mean, it's, it's kind of wide open, and if he can get – um, kind of his act together and everything in line. I mean, he could potentially wear that UFC strap. I mean, he's got the skill set. He's got the power on the feet. We've seen that boxing. I mean, power on, in each one of his hands, devastating knockout power. He's done it time and time again. And outside of that, obviously, he's got that wrestling pedigree that he could take down most people, uh, sprawl and brawl against most opponents as well. And then, of course, I mean, the grappling, the submission skill that he's got is phenomenal, too. So I think that Chandler presents a lot of problems for everybody in the UFC. His durability has been tested, and it, it, it kind of has had its moments where that's what kind of makes me question this as well, because Hooker is a killer, man. We've seen it time and time again, the improvement in his game and the progression and what he's become. I mean, he's become one of the funnest guys to watch in the lightweight division and with that killer instinct and his constant improvement. I mean, he comes to fight. He comes to, to take you out. I mean, he, there's no joking around. This is only a three-round fight, too, so he's going to be pushing a high pace for three rounds. And again, that finishing ability that he brings to the table here and the durability. I mean, he gets hit a lot. That's my problem with Hooker. I mean, he just absorbs so much punishment. He's tough and he's durable, but I wish he got hit less. I mean, and he's coming off that war against Poirier, which didn't do his career a lot of good either. I mean, that that definitely, that type of fight can take a toll on you for sure and your longevity. So we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of question marks here. So I think if you got Chandler at the plus money where you were getting him at like plus 30, plus 40, that was a very good bet, obviously. I mean, the line has decreased since then, but I think that was where the value's at. If you can get Chandler at that dog price that's sitting around a buck 30 or so, you got to take a stab at it. As a line drops, drops back down and you're not getting much value around plus 05, it's kind of tougher to bet. I think Hooker starts becoming more of the side around the pick type of price. So it depends on where this line is, where you got to bet it. If this line drops to exactly a pick Hooker becomes a value play. I think you got to side with him and pick him that way. But if this line definitely keeps on floating up and Chandler gets back to a spot where he's, you know, a disrespected underdog, I think you got to take a stab there because this fight could definitely go either. Either way, it can end inside the distance either way, um, or it can hit the scorecards, and either one of these guys can win by decision as well. So it's one of those close, competitive fights. I think more likely if it hits a card, Chandler probably edges out a decision. Um, and if it's going to end inside, more than likely Hooker probably is the one getting it done there. But again, these guys could both win every way possible. So let's see how this one plays out. Very fun fight. I'm going to lean towards Dan Hooker slightly because I think he is right now at this moment of his career, just the better fighter, the more dangerous fighter and the more durable fighter. So I'm definitely interested to see how this one goes. I'm going to pick Hooker and I'm expecting fireworks. And I'm going to go with Hooker as well. Uh, you know, Michael Chandler is a guy that I have been a big fan of outside the UFC for a long, long time. Ever since, you know, he beat Eddie Alvarez way back in the day uh, in Bellator. Uh, you know, that was an unbelievable moment. 
uh, back in 2011, but that was, you know, 10 years ago at this point. That's unbelievable that it was that long ago, but it was 10 years ago. So, uh, you know, he's been in Bellator for quite a while, um, had some rough stretches there and of late, he's definitely been better. Uh, ever since recovering from the, the injury against Brett Primus, uh, he has won, uh, five of his last six fights, um, picking up some quality wins, uh, avenging the loss to Primus, uh, getting a win over, uh, Goiti Yamauchi, a pretty talented, uh, Brazilian fighter and a really good performance his last time out finishing, uh, former UFC lightweight champion Benson Henderson, um, back in August of 2020. Uh, so, you know, he definitely still is a very capable fighter. He has a lot of power on the feet. He mixes in takedowns. Um, the problem is that Chandler is hittable and, you know, he does not have the greatest durability. We've seen him get finished, uh, by Patricio Pitbull in, uh, May of 2019. We saw him get finished by Will Brooks back in 2014. You know, Alvarez was able to avenge the loss to Chandler by split decision. Uh, so, you know, I'm not quite convinced that we're going to be seeing the best Mike Chandler that, you know, we're, we've ever seen. Uh, you know, he's a very exciting fighter and these former Bellator and World Series of Fighting and WEC champions have come to the UFC and impressed. You know, I think out of the six champions that entered the UFC, four of them ended up becoming UFC champions. Uh, most recently, you know, Justin Gaethje has become a superstar in the UFC, but, uh, Gaethje, you know, was a little bit earlier in his career. I think, uh, you know, Chandler's had a lot of wear and tear. He's taken a lot of damage. And I just don't think that he's going to be able to go toe to toe with somebody like Dan Hooker, who has fought exceptionally well, uh, since moving up to the lightweight division. I think he's one of the heaviest hitters in the lightweight division. And we've seen him rack up impressive performances. Uh, I'd say notably the, the wins over Gilbert Burns, obviously, and Al Iaquinta in the lightweight division. And then, uh, the, the close decision over Paul Felder. Uh, now, yeah, he wasn't quite able to get it done against, you know, Dustin Poirier and Edson Barboza, but those are two of the best strikers in the division. And I just don't have Michael Chandler quite on that same level. And with how durable Hooker is, um, I think he'll be able to just stand in the pocket and trade with Chandler. And unless Chandler is really able to mix in some wrestling here, I think uh, Hooker's going to have his way with him and probably finish Chandler at some point. But it should be extremely entertaining up until that happens. So my pick is going to be Dan Hooker. Now... Moving on to the main event of the evening in the lightweight division, we have Dustin Poirier, who is 26 and 6, rematching Connor McGregor, who is 22 and 4. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmakers' perspective on this one? Market wide, McGregor opened minus 175, comeback on Poirier plus 150. Actually, minus 165 is out there as well. Um, I've seen so market wide was minus 165, minus 170, minus 175 out there on McGregor. Comeback on Poirier's around plus 150 ish, 145 ish out there as well. Now we're seeing the line all the way up to minus 305, plus 255 at Circus Sports. We opened, I opened 
circa at minus 270 plus 230 when the market was still below 200. I opened us a scalp purposely because I knew the market was going to take off and there's no way that this line was going to sit under minus 200. So I was willing to kind of take that risk and stick my neck out a little bit and do that. It looked like it was the right call because we did take a lot of Poirier action early on. And then with a buyback on McGregor in the line kind of moving our way as well with the, with the parlay action, everything kind of coming together. We're in a very, very good spot um, at the moment as well. So Seems to have worked out. I'm glad, um, I, you know, my prediction of the line being kind of off was right. And it really was. And, it, you know, it's still at, at the point, I think it's a lot more accurate now than it was for sure. Um, but as it climbs, obviously, you got to be careful here. But again, if you could have got under 200, that was the price to take, man. Minus 170s, 175s, 200, 230, 250. I mean, anything below that 250, especially, Mark, I mean, you definitely got some outstanding value, I think. Just stylistically, it's a tough fight. I know Poirier's a heck of a fighter. He's a warrior. He's one of the best fighters in the world right now, pound for pound, period. I mean, the streak that he's on, the level of competition that he's faced, and his move up to lightweight and what he's been able to do, his durability's improved, his conditioning's improved. I mean, everything. He's a much more mature fighter now. Uh, It's just he's got that killer instinct as well. He's got that knockout power, the finishing ability. He's always been a well-rounded fighter. So this is not an easy fight. This is not the same Poirier that McGregor fought the first time for sure. But I also think that McGregor's on a different level. He hasn't been as active competing as much as we'd like him to see. But McGregor is one of the best fighters we've ever seen grace the octagon, especially in the striking aspect of things. I think he's the most elite and the best striker, pure striker I've ever seen in the sports history. I know that's saying a lot because we have the likes of Adesanya, we have Anderson Silva, so many good strikers that have been there um, historically, and I, I know that's crazy, and those guys deserve their respect, and they're right up there too, but I just think pound for pound, McGregor, I mean, with his ability, just his distance control is amazing, his accuracy is amazing, his power that he's able to deliver is really amazing, so I know, again, you could say he's got some issues with maybe his conditioning or whatnot, but I'm talking about pure pound for pound striking. I mean, this guy can't get much better. So it's he's an elite striker. I just think he's a level above Poirier here. I don't think Poirier is going to be able to withstand uh, McGregor, especially early on. I think a fresh McGregor is going to be able to get him out of there. So I do think this fight probably goes under, and it's McGregor by knockout or KO. Now, that said, if Poirier could be the warrior that he's been, and he could survive early like he kind of did in the Hooker fight. I mean, Hooker, Hooker had him hurt and had him out of there, but Poirier was willing to uh, and able to tough it out and had the heart to kind of withstand and then came back and won that fight. So if he's able to withstand McGregor early on, then that changes the whole complexion of this fight. And Poirier definitely could be a live dog here. I could see Poirier winning this fight in the late rounds, possibly finishing McGregor. I don't think this fight hits the scorecards either way. I think we're going to see an early finish from McGregor or possibly a late finish from Poirier. Of course, McGregor has that fight ending power anytime, even if it's later, but he does tend to gas and slow down. And again, with him fighting not as consistent as we'd like to see, I don't expect he's going to have great gas in the late round. So he's probably going to have to get this fight done early. But the bad news for Poirier is I think he does do that. So again, the elite talent that McGregor is, I think McGregor wins this fight. I think if you're looking to bet this, I wouldn't blame you for taking a small dab at McGregor by knockout. McGregor inside the distance, that's probably the way to go. Just don't go crazy with it because as a line, again, creeps up you have to respect Poirier and it's kind of getting to that point where there's no value left so be careful out there but I do think Conor McGregor is a side here and I think he gets it done so I'm glad he's back he's always a big draw obviously he's one of the most popular 
fighters in the world, most popular stars in the world, and that's good across the board. It's good for all of our websites. It's good for the UFC. It's good for the fans out there. It's good for the media. It's just everything across the board. When Conor McGregor fights, it's always a win-win situation for us all. I love that he's back. I hope he really does fight a few times this year at least, and we get to see him in action because, again, it's a win-win for us all, and I'm, I'm just really happy that he's going to finally get back in there and throw down. So my pick, Conor McGregor, and hopefully he comes through for us all. Yeah, this fight, to me, um, it's really going to boil down to can McGregor repeat what he did last time? Because it wasn't just that McGregor caught Poirier. He set him up. Um, he set him up. Uh, what, what McGregor does when he fights is every strike usually is thrown with a purpose. Um, maybe he throws something that tries is trying to manipulate his opponent's uh, positioning. Uh, he'll throw something to the left to try to get them to start moving to the right. That'll set up a spinning back kick or uh, a big hook. And then he tries to get them to move towards his power hand. Uh, and that's exactly what he did against Poye. Um, he manipulated Poye's movement and then caught him with a beautiful left hand. It was a nice short one. And, you know, Poye, again, at featherweight, did not quite have that same durability that he does now, where he can go in there and slug it out with some of the best guys in the lightweight division. He's definitely improved in that department. But again, you know, Conor McGregor is one of the hardest hitters in the UFC pound for pound. So if McGregor is able to manipulate Poirier's movement like he did last time, there's a very realistic possibility that he clips Poirier with something nasty and Poirier's not going to be able to handle it. Um, that being said, you know, Dustin Poirier is a completely different fighter since the last time these guys stepped in the octagon against each other. Um, the last time they fought, again, it was at featherweight. And since moving up to the lightweight division, I mean, Poirier has been an absolute beast. Uh, you look at his performances against uh, Bobby Green, knocking him out, uh, winning uh, uh, the avenging uh, against Eddie Alvarez, finishing Justin Gaethje, finishing Anthony Pettis, destroying Max Holloway over the course of, of uh, five rounds. Uh, and then uh, most recently, you know, going in there toe to toe with Dan Hooker, a really dangerous, powerful guy and winning a slugfest unanimous decision. So uh, he's been in there against some of the best, most dangerous strikers that the UFC has to offer. And Dustin Poirier is walking away unscathed. Um, the only issue that I really have here is as good as Dustin Poirier's striking has been and uh, as impressive as it has been, he still does historically struggle against Southpaws. Um, Connor McGregor was able to knock him out. And then who was the only other person to knock him out since then? Michael Johnson at lightweight, a guy with a really fast, uh, lightning light hand. And it caught Poirier and finished him. So, um, that's something that is going to absolutely need to be something that has, that Poirier has had to focus on because if, he has not made that adjustment, then McGregor could absolutely do the exact same thing. Repeat history here. So the way I see this fight playing out is uh, McGregor is extremely light on his feet and looks amazing early in fights. And I would expect that he's going to be getting the better of Poirier early and he should be able to get the finish if he and if he connects with something nasty, as as improved as Poirier's durability is, 
McGregor has that ability to land the shot you don't see coming, and I don't think Poirier will be able to handle it. So McGregor should be able to get the knockout, but if he doesn't, if he does not land that big shot, we also know that McGregor fades uh, in five-round fights. You know, he slows down in the second and third round sometime. So uh, if McGregor starts to slow down and has not put Poirier away, I can absolutely see Dustin Poirier turning it on as this fight wears on and McGregor slows down and Poirier getting a late stoppage. I could see Poirier stopping it in the third round, the fourth round, the fifth round. Maybe Poirier wins a decision and doesn't stop McGregor. Um, so for me, it's McGregor by knockout or Poirier wins. I really think that that's really what happens here. But the the high likelihood of McGregor getting the knockout is just too much to ignore. So I'm going to go with the Irishman here. So McGregor is going to be my pick. But if he has not put Dustin Poirier away by the second round, um, maybe check those live betting odds because he's probably still going to be a pretty heavy betting favorite live. And there could be some money to be made on Dustin Poirier. So my pick is McGregor, but keep an eye out for Poirier late. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC 257. If we have any free plays to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOBPremium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. Um, we also do have a free bet section on MMAOzbreaker.com. Check out the top tabs on the website. Uh, AJ Shulo has multiple uh, free bets available for UFC 257 already, plus a few other uh, events down the line. Remember to check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.